What a weary time those years were. To have the desire and the need to live, but not the ability. Welcome to Band Book Club. We're your hosts, Rafaela, Nick, and Nicolas. So that quote from the beginning was from Ham on Rye by Charles Bukowski. Definitely an infamous character, to say the least, in the world of literature. Everything this guy has written has upset people. His novels like Factotum, Post Office, Women, and even this one, which is his most critically acclaimed, Ham on Rye, have been criticized for misogyny, abuse against women, and just general nasty nihilism. Yet, Bukowski retains one of the most dedicated followings in literature, particularly amongst young, angry white dudes. Even this year, we saw some controversy surrounding his work after a tweet came out from Jess McHugh, who I think is, she's an editor for the Paris Review, right? She's a columnist for the New York Times. Oh, okay. Whatever. <laughs> Close it up. <laughs> Anyways, she had, I think the tweet was something like, Warning signs on a man's bookshelf. Yeah. Yeah. And she got a list of books. Yeah, it had uh, yeah. David Foster Wallace, Hunter Thompson, and I think one of the the warning signs that just said any Bukowski, right? Yeah, it said anything by Bukowski. Yeah, so he definitely has kind of a bad boy reputation in literature. But if he, since he's so controversial, why does he still have such a big following is what I'm wondering. I mean, if you go to Barnes & Noble even, his books take up a decent amount of space on the shelves. So what did you guys think about this book? So yeah, I, I enjoyed the, the book. Um, I want to say a little bit less than Factorum of his uh, work. I think it, it, it became a little bit repetitive at some points. That's one of the criticisms he gets most often. Well, yes, but I was going to follow up with it has a reason behind it. There is a reason why it got so repetitive. Because um, his life wasn't too good. It's just kind of a series of nightmarish things happening over and over. I mean, I guess he had to record what happened. So I don't blame him for repeating himself in some moments. Well, that's one of the reasons that Ham on Rye is my favorite Bukowski book, because to me, it is the least repetitive of all of them. If you've read, like we talked about, Factotum or Women or Post Office, it's kind of three different scenes played over and over again. Either he's Henry is drunk, Henry's having problems with a woman, right. he's going at to the, the racetrack. Going to the bar, going to the apartment, riding, yeah, going or, to his woman. Right. Working a crummy job. Right. Um, it's just different variations on that, but this is his childhood. What I, what I, what, yeah, what I mean about repeating, I mean repeating of things that happen to him, like these things happen. Like, for example, um, the, relation, the relationship that he had with his dad. These are stuff that happened, and he had to write it down. I'm not talking about repetitiveness on the fact of, just writing, of of doing things over and over. He clearly grew up in the book, and we can see that. Uh, it's He starts from when he was a little kid, and he goes up to a little bit after university, right? Yeah, it ends 
I think when the World War II draft is starting and he's in college. Right. So, so he's, he's repeating things that happened with um, specific people of his family and friends and stuff, but he's not repeating himself of doing the same stuff like the Factorum. Yeah. I don't know if, I'm, if I gave it to you. No, I, I think we agree on that. This is the, maybe the most different out of all of his books yeah. in that way from like a story structure point of view. He's also the least grumpy, at least at the beginning of this one. Yes, and he's really trying for something. He he was actually trying for some stuff. Yeah, that's the heartbreaking part of this book to me, is it's just an innocent kid at the beginning, slowly getting mushed down. But he definitely fights back against it in a lot of interesting ways. I agree. Well, I really like this book because I was really used to reading books in college that were pretty complicated with the writing style and even just the plot was hard for me to follow sometimes you know in with you know college level books and so you know you had recommended some authors for me to try out that had simple writing styles and so I picked Bukowski and actually Ham on Rye was my first one and I couldn't put it down I was very sad as I read the whole thing. And when I finished the book, I was really depressed afterwards. I felt very sorry for him because, yeah, he's a very innocent child that basically is given no opportunity to succeed. And not only is he having a terrible childhood with terrible parents, then he just has that, um, just like a, he's physically not okay with the acne and it's not just regular acne like any other kid would get and go through he has to have cystic acne that's so bad he has to have needles injected into every single boil and i don't know it's just like what else could go wrong with with him let's talk about some of the obstacles in this book because in a traditional story there's maybe one or two major problems that the protagonist has to deal with. But in Ham on Rye, it's just one after the other. One after the other problem. I mean, where do you even begin? His father, his mother, his acne, like you said, school, the depression. Yeah, he's literally growing up in the Great Depression and in total poverty. Yeah. His dad, I think, is a milkman at the beginning. Yeah. And uh, he steals oranges just to get food. <laughs> I mean, that's a great scene. We can That's come back a beautiful later. scene, but, yes. Uh, I, I think probably the main antagonistic force in this book, if you could sum it up, is his father, Henry's father. I think, yeah, it played the biggest role in his life, for he, sure. He's definitely the villain yeah. in this story, which is also different from other Bukowski books because there's not really a main bad guy that he's going up against. It's just kind of everything is bad and unpleasant. But this dad in the story is actively evil and abusive to Henry. What do you guys think about him? I thought he was an amazing character. It was scary, sad, depressing. Everything he did to Bukowski... Or Henry, what's what's his name in the Henry, Henry. Chenansky. Henry Chenansky, yeah. Everything that he did to Henry, 
it was the saddest thing. It was just unnecessary. Like, he never did anything bad. Like, he wasn't a rebel child or anything. He started off as a very good kid. And, I mean, I guess he backtalked a couple times, but his punishment was so much more severe than the things he did. Like, I remember he was beat because... He didn't trim every little hair on the grass, and he had to go yeah. cut it with the scissors. There is a scene that he, his dad is putting his head down low to the grass to see if he got it if all he got straight. It all. Yeah, and uh, he didn't. Uh, it was a couple of uh, hairs. Hairs, yeah, and he got a good beating. He's yeah it. whipped with the belt. I mean. But the razor he, strap. The razor strap. <laughs> but he didn't allow him, like, let him a little bit free. See what he's going to do. If he, why, I don't know why he tried to contain him so much. Well, one thing about the dad and the beating is that if you've read Bukowski's poetry or his other novels, you know that his dad and the razor strap are a theme he never forgets about. He's constantly bringing up. But... The dad, I think he mentions in one of his poems, he says he he doesn't really blame him, but that he just has something that's attacking him from the inside, I think was the, the line, that he could never understand. So he's just this totally broken guy that I don't know if Bukowski even sees as evil, but just kind of representing how hard life is itself, but giving that to him at an early age, which he also says taught him to be a great writer because his dad, I think he said, he taught him about pain without reason, which to me is what you could condense the theme of this book down to. It's just, you know, dealing with pain that doesn't have any logical reason. It's just the way life is and how that affects a kid. I love the way you present it. <laughs> also, he's done some paintings of his dad and they're really funny. His ears are like bigger than his head <laughs> and his nostrils are bigger than his eyes. And it I always, haven't seen I, them. Yeah. You remember he always talked about that in the book though, how huge his ears were. Yeah. He's just kind of this scary... Caricature. Guy. Yeah, caricature. <laughs> which I think... Um, there's a an interesting moment we could talk about. Do you remember when he's being beat in the bathroom mm-hmm. after it's happened already a bunch of times and some sort of switch kind the of... The moment that yeah. switched everything. Yeah, yes. and he's, yes. he stops caring mm-hmm. and he doesn't cry anymore when his dad is beating him. And the dad kind of realizes this and he starts beating him even harder. harder yeah. And he says, what does he say? Something he, like The dad got up. He finished the beating. He got up. He hung the the strap, and he says, "Like Henry, is that all?" Yeah, Henry turned to him and said, "Is that all?" And he looked at him. The dad looked at Henry, and he walked away. He know he knew he was defeated right there. Yeah, that's that's probably the biggest turning point in the book. And it says something like, "Something changed in that room. Everybody knew about it. The toilet knew it. Yeah, <laughs> the tile <laughs> tiles knew yeah. it. The sink knew it." But um, I that was one of the best parts for me because he at least doesn't stay in this pit of sadness and, you know, destruction. He he does fight against it and develop. 
past the point that his father and his mom are stuck in. Yeah, and also you can see it in the moment when he, uh, his dad found out his uh, poetry or something that he was writing. He's writing material, and he got upset and he threw him out of the house, and he didn't think twice. He went to attack him, to beat him. Oh, when when his papers were scattered all over the lawn. Yeah, and he went up to his mom. He threw and all like, his stuff out. Where is he? I'm gonna kill him. Yeah, but but you see that that he moved on. He moves on. He didn't want to stay. He didn't want to mess around anymore. He was gone. That was the moment that he got he got all his stuff, everything he could pick up from the ground, and he left. Yeah. Well, that's what I was saying earlier. Like People criticize Bukowski or Henry in the books for saying that, you know, he's just boring. He's repetitive and angry and upset all the time, and that's not interesting writing. But... Whether it's interesting or not, after you've read this book, you at least understand why. You yeah. know, I think under these circumstances, most people would maybe turn out to be a serial killer or something. Th- this kind of abuse. And the book never excuses him for the way he is. Because I think it's, it's, he's pretty aware that he's not the greatest guy. But it just shows you how it happened. And that was very honest it didn't like jolly it up with a bunch of emotions or anything like it's the least hallmark movie <laughs> story you could read it's a very honest book he'll in the way he writes the stories he tells i mean all the little gross things that happen in his life all the violence it's just honest it's like how real people talk and act and he just puts his real thoughts out there he's not trying to give some great message it's just he him presenting his life what happened and you deal with it stay with us we'll be right back before we continue a quick interruption want to purchase the book we're discussing in this episode well check out bookshop Bookshop is an online bookstore with a mission to financially support local independent bookstores. As more and more people buy their books online, Bookshop has created an easy, convenient way for you to get your books and support bookstores at the same time. Bookshop will give away over 75% of their profit margin to stores, publications, and authors. If you want to shop the books we've covered on the podcast, visit the link down below in the description. We do receive a small commission based on sales, so thank you for all your support of our channel and podcast. What do you guys think about the style, the way it's written? Because that's one of his biggest strengths, I think. As Rafaela said earlier, uh, Bukowski is um, one of the writers that writes the best, in my opinion, because of the simplicity of his writing. Very accessible. Um, it's very straightforward, uh, and I enjoy it a lot because I can understand it. Um, because once again, uh, my my language is not English, so I always have hard times with books. And Bukowski was always an author that I could pick up a book of his and understand and follow. But in general, very beautifully structured writing, in my opinion. Some people view the style as not having any style at all. They think it's just totally flat and basic. I think that's his style. 
In my I think it makes this stuff hit even harder when he's describing, you know, a kid who's being beaten because he's not playing the violin well enough. He describes that as plainly as he would, you know, the sandwich he ate for lunch yeah. or anything else. E- nothing in the book gets like a higher more amount atten- of emotion. More attention, more en- of anything, yeah. It, it, even if he speaks for the, the simplest thing or the, the most weird and the worst thing that happened to him, the tone never changes at all. He's not using, you know, a lot of descriptive language or metaphor where you have to read something over and over again. It's just very crisp and clean. Yeah, there's no metaphor. There's no metaphor. It's just story after story. and It's the least flowery writing you could get. Yeah. I see a a lot of um, Ernest Hemingway and uh, John, John Fonte. Who was his, those two were his uh, heroes. Yeah, he mentioned also in the book that he started uh, reading it, reading them. Yeah. Yeah, when he was under the covers, that was really the way he was able to, I guess, escape Yeah, because of his real dad. life. <laughs> his dad didn't allow him also to read uh, in the night. He didn't allow him to have the light on. So and, he'd have the they... flashlight and would get really hot under there and... He'd be reading. Yeah. And then he starts to write short stories. And I think the stories are about the Red Baron, aren't they? Oh, yeah. With the the pilot. Yeah. And he invents this tough guy character that just goes around and drinks and doesn't say anything and gets in fights. And reading the other books of his, I saw that as kind of a foreshadowing of the Chanaski you know, wandering worker, tough guy mm-hmm. that's in all the other books. But I thought it was interesting that he starts to develop this persona that is like the Red Baron character. Machismo. Yeah. <laughs> Ultra machismo, almost to the point where it's like a caricature. It's, yeah, it's almost a satire on being macho man. <laughs> yeah, I think he's... He definitely is hiding behind that, and it's sort of this character he invents yeah, to deal with the world. Yeah, he acts all tough. He's, you know, getting in fights. He's acting like he doesn't care, but I think at the end of the day, Bukowski just wants a big hug. Yeah. <laughs> he needs a big hug. I think hug. he missed that. Yeah, he never really received any. One of the saddest scenes in the book to me is when he's talking to his teacher after, I think it's after she wanted him to write something about the president coming to town. Oh, yeah, the president was coming to town and they told him to write about it. Yeah, and he didn't go. He he can't go because his dad is forcing him to do something stupid. I don't remember what. (laughs) But um, So he makes up the story and it's really well written and it sounds like it's even making fun of the president himself, but the teacher recognizes how good the writing is and also that he didn't actually go. And she keeps him after class and asks him about it. And she says, you're very talented, blah, blah, blah. And I think he's like in second grade at this point. And he tries to, um, I don't know how to put this nicely. Um, He makes (laughs) Hook up. (laughs) Yeah, he tries to hook up with the teacher, but he says it in a pretty rough way. And the teacher kind of takes a step back. And the part that got me was she said, like, you haven't been loved once in your life have you or something and he just has some tough guy come back 
for that. But he's still like in second grade at this point. He he tried too hard. Um, there are sexual um, thoughts that that he has, and he puts them on paper. Um, pretty rough ones too. Yeah. Oh, well, that's another constant in his but writing. Yeah. Before we move on, I would like to mention on that part when he wrote about the president, he came into realization and he wrote this quote. It says, "So that's what they wanted." Lies, beautiful lies. That's what they needed. People were fools. It was going to be easy for me. Yeah, that's his cynicism is pretty strong throughout the whole thing. He never, he will stop and make a quote where he's meditating on how crummy people are and how everything is a lie. And he'll actually take the time to step back from the scene and say a quote like that. But there are some optimistic things too. But they're never. He never is brave enough to like state them in the same way as he does. I agree with the negative yeah. stuff. Is one thing I noticed. He keeps it more subtle. You might even miss it, actually. But we can talk about that more later. Well, obviously, he's a very controversial author for himself. But there was one book that was officially banned. If we want to say it was banned from a library in Holland. In 1985, it was his book of short stories called Tales of Ordinary Madness. A library official said it was very sadistic, occasionally fascist, and discriminatory against certain groups, including homosexuals. And Bukowski actually wrote the library officials a letter who banned his book. And I wanted to read this because I thought it was interesting and we could talk about it. Um, And you know how... If you've ever seen Bukowski's letters or his books, he likes to draw little pictures at the bottom. And so he also drew a little picture of himself at the bottom. (laughs) (laughs) So I would let you go check that out on the Internet. So this was his letter to the library who banned his book. In my work as a writer, I only photograph in words what I see. If I write of sadism, it is because it exists. I didn't invent it. And if some terrible act occurs in my work, it is because such things happen in our lives. I am not on the side of evil if such a thing as evil abounds. In my writing, I do not always agree with what occurs, nor do I linger in the mud for the sheer sake of it. Also, it is curious that the people who rail against my work seem to overlook the sections of it which I entail joy and love and hope, and there are such sections. My days, my years, my life has seen ups and downs, lights and darknesses. If I write only and continually of the light and never mention the other, then as an artist I would be a liar. Censorship is the tool of those who have the need to hide actualities from themselves and from others. Their fear is only their inability to face what is real, and I can't vent any anger against them. I only feel this appalling sadness. Somewhere in their upbringing, they were shielded against the total facts of our existence. They were only taught to look one way when many ways exist. And then he drew a little picture. And I just thought that this was... Is, um, this is exactly what we're talking about, yeah. <laughs> about him. This is exactly it. That's the two camps of people that view his work I was talking about earlier is you either think he's oh this is a awesome writer he's writing from the gutter he's showing life how it really is or you think he's just like why is this guy so angry why is he moping around all the time why does he sound like a a teenager that wears hot topic clothes and Mm -hmm. complains (laughs) about how much everything sucks 
I guess if you've been through stuff like that, then maybe you'll get more out of it. But I can see how, you know, if you haven't had a life that was as challenging as his, you have a valid criticism saying like, well, why is this guy so yeah well he's not down in the dumps. he's not pc you know if if bukowski was you know alive today and he was starting out his career i don't think he would have made it as a writer well i think that's very interesting actually first of all just to save my skin here i don't condone anything he does in this book he does lots of horrible abusive things in all of his books he's definitely rude to women but I don't think it's as simple as he hates women or he's Yeah, you, you can't get caught up in Yeah, or in he's that. against homosexuals or whatever. I think he just has a really complicated relationship with women. And I think if you look closely at the writing, you can see that he actually really loves women and is obsessed with them. That love just manifests itself in kind of a messed up way. Or do you guys think he's just totally horrible? No, I totally agree with you. I don't think he's uh, he's horrible. Again, Band Book Club is not excusing the bad treatment of women. Nice. By any means. <laughs> yeah, he, he does horrible things in this book. I mean, and he admits it that the things he does and says is pretty horrible. But I don't think that's, you know, the only thing to focus on. With he's him. like he's like an upset grandpa. <laughs> you can't judge him you know it's it is what he's it is he's just being honest you know i appreciate the honesty of how he feels he doesn't dance around anything in this book or any of his books i think he uses women and other things like alcohol or the horse track as kind of a shield to protect himself from his real feelings well wasn't it a quote uh, from from uh, Hammond Wright that said that why are you drinking? Not quote uh, a dialogue that he had with I don't remember with who, but he said why are you drinking? And he said because if I didn't drink I would have killed myself by now or something like that. Yeah, do you remember that? Well, I think it was. It from says something Wright. about yeah him being obvious. He's like this is something that helps me be less obvious. Yeah, he. Well, th that's one thing I'd I'd actually like to talk about is the the drinking stuff because obviously drinking and women and whatever else kind of vice that half the world has has been a thing in literature since literature began. You know, it's almost become a cliche. It is a cliche at this point that you know if you're a high level writer, you are a depressed person that drinks a lot and doesn't have success with women. But in Bukowski's stuff, he elevates all those things to almost a mythological level. Like when, with the drinking, for example, when he discovers alcohol as a kid in this book, it's not just like, oh, I, w I was so sad and this was the only way I could deal with it is I just drank a lot. He describes it almost like he's discovered fire or something, like it's this amazing thing he's found that's like a secret that nobody else knows about and again he's very young i think he's in like a friend's oh yeah his friend's dad's wine cellar or something mm -hmm. and just do you remember, the, remember the language he uses around it uh, around the alcohol when he f first has his like he gets a little buzz from some wine 
and he talks about it like it's almost a religious sort of thing like it lifts him up and like you said it makes him not obvious and makes everything better basically the quote you're talking about was getting drunk was good I decided that I would always like getting drunk. It took away the obvious, and maybe if you could get away from the obvious enough, you wouldn't become so obvious yourself. Yeah, I mean, that's just one of the quotes that he gives about alcohol, but it's something that he's obsessed with after he discovers it, and it continues through all the other books. And my point here is, you know, all... Well, I'd say like 80% of the big literary authors were either drunks themselves or do the cliche thing of romanticizing alcohol and women and whatever else in their books. And I was just wondering, do you guys think he, Bukowski, who revels in this more than even those other authors, does he romanticize it too much or... Is he actually going somewhere with it? Or does he have anything to offer in the conversation for like, you know, he's doing all these things because of a a reason? Or it's just, you think he's just playing into that role of, you know, cool author guy that drinks and has affairs? No, I think think he was just, um, he got uh, obsessed with women. And we can see that on Hamangrai, how slowly it built up. Uh, to it, and then he got obsessed with alcohol, and it is what it is, and he used it, and that's why he put it in. I, I don't think he put it in to be cool, or uh, the use of it is to be cool, or because he's a writer, he has to drink. I think it's just an addiction that he got. That was it. I think it's his crutch. It's just something that comforts him, and helps bring his guard down and makes him feel more relaxed because, I don't know, it is surprising that he didn't die from alcohol poisoning. Clearly he knew when to stop. He got an, a bad uh, ulcer out of it. Yeah, he was coughing up blood and he went to his doctor. It, this is one of his stories, you know, maybe he's blowing these out of proportion, but apparently the doctor said, if you have one more drink, you're going to die. And it, I remember from the he's interview... He's to one, right? yeah. In the interview, he, right after he says that, he takes a huge gulp of wine, and he's like, doctors lie to you all the time. <laughs> but um, <laughs> the with the, I don't want to harp too much on the drinking and the women stuff, but one thing I think is kind of unfortunate about all that is if you've met Bukowski fans, a lot of times I think they misinterpret that side of him, and there's this kind of cringy. I don't know, stereotype Bukowski reader that thinks that all that stuff is actually cool for its own sake. I don't know if you've ever met a person like this, but I think that's where the the Jess McHugh thing was coming from. Probably. These group of people that think that drinking that hard is cool for its own sake or, you know, being rough to women is how you should be because... That's how Bukowski was, and Bukowski is cool and real, and I want to be like him. So that is one thing that is unfortunate to me about mm-hmm. the effect of his books. But again, I think that's, like you said, Nicola, there's a more valid route to this stuff, and I think you're kind of missing the point if that's what you take away from it. He just was 
who he was and didn't apologize for it. And, you know, throughout... For better or worse. For better or worse. I mean, you see he ends up becoming totally pretty much alone and sad as a result of that. He, he definitely does, but that was kind of what he wanted. He always, it, throughout the book, he talks about how everyone else was just living a lie, basically. Their whole goal in life was to have a kid, settle down, have a job where you were like a lawyer or an engineer or, you know, working as a store clerk. And he just hated how people were just not true to themselves. They just looked at everyone else. What are you supposed to do and follow that set of rules? He just, he hated the idea of becoming something even though he actually did want to become something he really loved writing and he wanted to be a writer and he actually didn't become or he didn't really start writing seriously and submitting things until he was 35 which I thought was really interesting because he had such a late start in life and he didn't really become that big until he was really old and then he died <laughs> he gave up in writing I've read about it he gave he, up in writing. He kept trying and trying. And I, I think I've heard that he gave up writing in his twenties, didn't he? Yeah, and then and then what happened? He got the he got the problem with alcohol, the ulcer that he got, and then he started again. I remember reading. He said something like he he didn't write in his twenties, and instead he just went on a ten year drunk. He right. Called it right. And then he started writing again after that experience, but um. One thing I want to clear up before we go any further is, you know, we've been, well, I've been talking a lot about the alcoholism and the stuff with women in this book. And I think if you don't know much about Ham on Rye and this is what you're hearing, you might think this sounds like an incredibly boring book, you know, just somebody that's drinking and doing bad stuff to women. But that is not the only thing in this book. No, by any that, means. that is far from that. It's Absolutely. so full of unique scenes, stranger than fiction characters, and just weird, interesting stuff. And I, I'd like to talk about some of those if you guys have any special ones you want to talk about. I mean, I, the first one that comes to mind for me is the scene in the Orange Grove. You remember? Oh, with his dad? Yeah. He was picking up the oranges? Yeah, they, yeah. they go on these <laughs> Sunday drives just because that's what... Well, it sounded beautiful at first. Yeah, it was beautiful. This is before anything too terrible has yeah. happened. And they're just driving around in their car for no reason just to look at the stuff. And they go into an orange grove and Bukowski's dad or Henry's dad gets out and starts taking some of these oranges. And you're starting to think, okay, well, maybe they're not doing so great if they're having to steal oranges. And this farmer comes out with a gun. With a shotgun, yeah. Yeah. And what, what does he say about the oranges? There was some great dialogue there, I remember. He, the dad's got this handful of oranges, and the guy says, drop them. And he's like, you don't need all these oranges. You're not going to miss a few oranges. He's like, I'm not going to miss a single one. Drop them. <laughs> and then the dad just becomes totally pathetic, and he starts making all these threats to the guy, but he's actually walking back to his car. He didn't have any power at all, yeah. Yeah, and the mom is just sitting in the back seat like her face is just still smiling from the beginning i don't know what what were some scenes like that that you guys remember just the one the scene that sticks out to me the most or the most memorable was towards the end where he had a ton of uh, boils on his back 
and he was with his mom and his grandma. Do you remember this? You mean the acne he gets from being so stressed all the time? Yeah, I guess. Well, he's his whole face is covered in boils. He's He literally goes to school with a bag on his head or he's all wrapped up and he kind of likes the idea because no one knows what's underneath and he feels kind of cool that he gets to be all covered up. But he goes to the doctor and his it's his grandma, right? And she's holding a crucifix. Well, first of all, just for some context, this acne was so bad that he has to go to the doctor every week and they drill the sores with some sort of machine. Yeah, it was like an electric needle. And they give him like ultraviolet radiation. And I think he says that, you know, they weren't even sure if that worked, but they're just trying it out on poor people. But, yeah, uh, and he's always bandaged up and his shirt, it starts like leaking through his shirt all the time. Yeah. Like it's really bad. The, what you're talking about is after that when the grandma comes over and tries to fix it, right? She, yeah, the grandma tries to fix it and she takes a crucifix and she, you know, says something and, you know, she just takes the cross and just jams it into the boils and they all just start popping. Yeah, and then he says... A curse word and then she says oh look he's possessed and yeah that scene just it was it was funny but it wasn't that funny like it was horrible it was traumatic yeah that's the thing about the scenes in the all these books is i could just as easily laugh at them as i could like want to cry it's yeah. just a weird mix i didn't laugh as much as i thought i would with something like that i don't know maybe oh maybe because it was i I seriously I was didn't find it as funny as I found it sad. Uh, but it didn't make me feel extremely uncomfortable either. Maybe I'm... I'm Not just... even when the kid that has clearly a mental disorder was... Um, pleasing himself. Pleasing himself in the class and it was thumping <laughs> on the desk. <laughs> and the and teacher, teacher kind of liked it and she didn't say anything. Yeah, they go through the whole semester like that. <laughs> I'm not saying that it wasn't depressing. I'm just saying that I, when when we said we're gonna do this, I didn't read it before, so it was my first time reading it. And both of you, you told me that you're gonna be shocked. Rafaela told me that uh, you're gonna cry, and uh, I didn't cry, but I did find it very very depressing. That's that's all. But I did, so maybe that's why I couldn't really laugh with it. As much. Well, I don't think you should laugh. I, no, no, no. I'm no. probably only finding some of this funny because there's something wrong with me. But it, I mean, of course, if you stop and think about what's actually going on, it's horrifying. But it's so extreme sometimes that it's almost like I don't know. It's a skit that somebody made. I think. I think it's also the way Bukowski describes some stuff. The way his way of describing some horrible things or even weird things. It's just funny, especially when he found out how babies were made. Oh, <laughs> are we allowed to talk about that? <laughs> I mean, it wasn't a big deal, but I, I like that phrase. What, what did he say? The dong that shoots juice? Yeah, something like that. Which, my which... mom had a hole and my dad had a dong that shot juice. That's a quote, by the way. You can't get me in trouble because I said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, no, no. This is That's this is how. Quote. And then he was like, "How could people walk around all day with that and not say anything?" <laughs> <laughs> that it's it's a weird quote, but this is how Bukowski writes, and and I think that's why he's so um, easy to read too, and maybe that's why he's so funny too. You mean because he's just so upfront about everything? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because 
that's definitely true but there's also so much that i get between the spaces of the lines like there's a lot of subtext partly because he's not coming out and explaining like oh this dog got run over on the street and it's sad because he you just have to ruminate on it yourself well one of my favorite quotes from the book was at the age of 25 most people were finished a whole goddamn nation of assholes driving automobiles eating having babies doing everything in the worst way possible like voting for the presidential candidate who reminded them most of themselves i don't know i feel like that just kind of sums up his whole attitude on people he really hates people but he also really wants to get to know them and connect with them and he still sees the beauty in people but at the same time he really can't stand people and how they live their lives and the way they talk and the things they do he never really evolves past this rut where he gets close to somebody or something he cares about and then just you know the classic thing pushes it away before they can do it themselves which makes sense, you know, if, if you've been abused by your parents so much as a kid. That's a thing that's been in literature over and over again. But I thought it was this was probably the best treatment or one of the best treatments I've seen of it in a book. I discovered a new word with this book. And I know there are a lot of books that are described this way, but I'm probably going to say this wrong. A Bill Dung's Roman. And it's a genre that deals with a protagonist's growth, development, and education into the sometimes harsh realities of life, a fall from innocence into experience. And I know this book is kind of an anti-coming-of-age, even though technically it is a coming-of-age book. It's just not your ideal. Like, you would think, okay, well, after all this, at the very end, he's going to... I don't know, get his big break or something's going to go right or he he would have learned from everything and now, you know, he sees how he should proceed with his life. But I thought the ending was actually really something else where he's, I, I mean, I don't know if I should give it away, but he's at the arcade and he's playing with the little boy and they're playing boxing yeah, while well, everyone else is going off to fight World Everybody, War II. Yeah, everybody's... And his only friend that he made in the novel also is going off to fight in the war. Mm-hmm. He respects him as a writer also. His name is, I think, Becker. Baldy. No. Oh. He never liked Baldy that much. Oh. Baldy was kind of a third wheel. <laughs> yeah, what what you mean for the the coming-of-age stuff, it doesn't give you a nice little ending wrapped up with a bow at the end like and this is what i learned from getting beat every day it's just a very basic normal scene of him going into the arcade and he's playing like rock'em sock'em robots or something with a a mexican kid but there's something in that scene that got the message to me that he had had some sort of victory at the end of this book even if it was just learning how to survive all this stuff and not caving in and that that's all it was it wasn't a here's the lesson or here's why here's what i learned that made all of this make sense it was just a continuation but there there's something victorious in the fact that 
you could go through all of that and still continue somehow. We actually had the pleasure of seeing his grave in San Pedro? Yeah, San Juan? In, in California. Yes, and if you... Again, that doesn't mean we're fans of his stuff or support what he does. <laughs> Maybe we just happened to go there. We happened to just go there because we were in LA and we were driving back and we were like, okay, let's just go look at his grave. He's here. And on his grave, it has a guy boxing and it says, don't try. And, you know, his whole life was a struggle, you know, for your little boxing man. But I like the quote, don't try, because I think he realized so many people try so hard and they don't even, they're not even good at what they do or they never really make it. And he really didn't try that hard for who he was. But writing just came so naturally to him and he did it and he just clearly had a talent for it or so I think. A lot of people don't agree with that. Do but. you think that don't try means what you said or it's don't try comes from his poem that says don't try, go all the way? I think it because does. Because it has a totally different... Yeah, well... Are you talking about the poem where he's giving advice to people who want to be a writer and he's saying like yeah if you're if you have to wait around for uh inspiration to come or if you have to work at it over and over again or if the idea of doing it just seems like work don't do it and if it's going to happen it'll just happen on its own basically that's how i take it is it's no that's not it it's the one that says um go all the way even if you lose girlfriends you remember that? Oh, so you're saying in that poem, it sounds like he's saying, keep trying instead of don't try? No, no, it means don't just try. Just go all the way. Just do it. Like, like keep going. Don't, don't just start something and you just say, I will try to do it. I will try. I will give it a try. Just do it and go all the way. Even if you have, like he said in the poem, if you have to lose girlfriends and you're your home and your own your own life if you have to. Yeah. Well, he definitely has this philosophy he invents for himself where he emphasizes not doing something unless you just kind of have to do it or it feels very natural. And don't try and be an author or a lawyer or anything just because you imagine that it's cool. Only do it if like there's no other choice to do it. I think that's sort of what it is. It's a weird combination of don't try and let things happen naturally and also keep fighting all the time and don't give up, I think. And that's what I, I get from the little boxing guy and the quote on his grave and all of the books, really. It's just reinforcing that. Well, thank you for joining us on this episode. We hope you check out any book by Bukowski. It's got tons of poems, too, like thousands of them. So go check but them out. But only if you're okay with some rough content. Yeah, it is explicit, so be warned. <laughs> so thank you, everybody, for listening. And we're going to catch you on the next one. Make sure you follow us. Make sure you give us a five-star review. And remember, if a book is banned, it's worth reading. <laughs>